Hi, everybody. I'm John McIndoe, CMO here at IRI. Thanks so much for joining us for our C-suite conversations. There's been a dramatic increase in demand for CPG brands and products during COVID-19. In this episode of IRI Growth Insights C-suite conversations, Mark Klaus, President and CEO of the Campbell Soup Company, talks with IRI President and CEO Andrew Appel about leadership during a pandemic, transformation, and what the future looks like for consumer packaged goods. Jim Cramer, host of CNBC's Mad Money, said earlier this year, Mark Klaus is widely viewed as a miracle worker in this industry. Klaus joined Campbell Soup in January 2019, and prior to that was CEO of Pinnacle Foods. Before that, he was Chief Commercial Officer and Chief Growth Officer at Mondelez. Mark is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and served in the U.S. Army for six years as a pilot and completed his service as a captain. Campbell Soup Company's response during COVID-19 pandemic is grounded in three key areas, the health and safety of its employees and their families, the knowledge that retailers, consumers, and communities are depending on it for food, and working to understand how the pandemic is shaping the future. Further, Klaus has led a call to action to support for inclusion and diversity, publicly committing to fostering a more diverse and inclusive culture at Campbell's. In this episode, we talk with Mark about what the future of CPG looks like and how CPG manufacturer retailer partnerships will anticipate shopper needs and exceed their expectations. And with that, over to you, Andrew. Thanks, John. And uh, thanks for doing this, Mark. We really appreciate it and been very impressed in the year or so we've got to know each other on just how quickly you've gotten a shift in directions at Campbell's and how uh, relevant you have been during this uh, complex environment we all work in. Um, I'd love to start with, you have a reputation for a walk the halls, um, get involved, getting down into the details with the team's um, style. How has that played out since March? Yeah. Well, it's, first of all, it's great to be here. Uh, Andrew, thanks for uh, having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, you know, I think for all of us as leaders, and I, you know, I've said this a couple different times in different forms, but I'm not sure that in the last eight months I, I haven't learned more uh, about leading than perhaps the previous eight years, um, given the nature uh, of so many kind of new things and new capabilities leaders have to build. And one of the, the biggest areas uh, that I think has been an, an, an area to kind of evolve in is in how we engage with our teams. And that's what you're really talking about. And I do believe very strongly in a leadership style that, that is accessible, that's part, um, you know, kind of in the weeds, as you say, but also just part of the team's work to really try to make sure that you're playing the right role and you know, coaching or guiding on, on days where it's needed, making decisions rapidly and being more informed so that you can do that uh, quicker uh, than if you're kind of isolated and, you know, spending all of your time in a, in a, in a space where you're removed from what the day-to-day -day operation is. It's a lot tougher to make those decisions. Jump yourself now into a moment like this, um, and it becomes almost more important to have that kind of feel for the pulse of the company um, but you also are missing a lot of the occasions that you had to do that. And I think what we've tried to do um, is engineer, uh, you know, be overt about thinking about times, whether it's, you know, whether I spend an afternoon for a couple hours calling, you know, one-on-one -on -one directly with individuals through the company that are in different locations or different functions, just to kind of listen to hear, you know, how they're doing or whether it's a, um, you know, smaller group. Uh, pop in, or even you know, last week I popped into a couple uh, retirement uh, Zoom parties, which is just great, you know, to to get to celebrate a little bit and talk with people and and hear what's on their mind. And I and I think the overarching so what of all of this is that that I think we all understand the importance of communication, but when you're navigating a crisis like this, it is absolutely paramount one way or another that you figure out how to stay close enough to your organization to understand what they're going through and be able to make the decisions that really help them. 
as this has evolved, one of the bigger challenges is just staying connected to the various kind of outer regions of the employee base because it's uh, it's hard to get a feel, right? Not, you, there's nothing that replaces, you know, just walking down the hall and catching groups for five minutes. And uh, and that uh, seems like, at least in, in our life, the interactions are more formal. I don't know what you think of, you know, they're just yeah. structured. You just don't have that walk down to the to your cafeteria, right? Having been there and catch 15 people and just get the, you know, get that one minute sense for like, well, how are you doing? Or how's the, you know. It's, it's really hard, Andrew. I mean, and, and think about all of the lack of travel out to the different, you know, satellite offices or plants where, yes, you may have a structured agenda there, but you also have a chance to grab lunch and, you know, walk around and just talk to people casually. And again, like I said, I think you have to create forums that allow for that. If you simply, you know, I, and I, I can tell you, I've been guilty of this too, is the bit of ebb and flow uh, throughout the entire period. You know, you, you can get on the, the Zoom or the Microsoft Teams, you know, junk it for the day, flip it on. It's like seven o'clock at night and it's, oh, and you're like, what just happened? And, you know, I think you've got to really find a way, whether it's adding 10 or 15 minutes into a meeting, uh, just so you can, you know, kind of BS a little bit with the team and say, hey, you know, how are you feeling or how are you doing? Or, you know, join a few things that you may not normally have joined as a CEO, um, just so not to disrupt the meeting, but just to create a little bit of space to have a more casual conversation instead of trying to figure it out through, you know, what planned business reviews or, you know, other meetings that are that are more structured in nature. But I don't know that anyone's got the definitive playbook on this one yet, Andrew. I think we're all kind of, no, it's, it's, you know, learning together as you go. We all kind of expected this to be a few months. So we set ourselves up with this sprinter speed marathon thinking we were sprinting, you know, 26 miles. And then it's more like an Ironman triathlon maybe a few right and so here we are seven months in and uh and it uh we're still running at that sprint pace and there isn't you know an end in the sight and the the the, the um the impact on the organization of like at some point when do you how do you balance speed and and uh, uncertainty yeah it's 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 you know there it should be top of mind really for all of us as leaders because you know, adding to the complexity of what you just described, which is absolutely real. And, you know, I, I would say I feel it as well, right? I can feel that ebb and flow of energy, you know, the, that surge uh, of adrenaline when, when we're trying to do the right thing to serve our communities and make sure food is available and, you know, kind of working arm in arm with our retailers to get things done. Um, you know, as that turns into six and seven months, um, kids went back to school, adding more pressure at home for mom and dad. You know, the economy has put pressure on households um, that is unique and a unique element on top of what you're dealing with in the in the spirit of uncertainty. A lot of political unrest in the country, and you add all that up, and I and I think as leaders we have got to be um, again overtly mindful. Uh, that the mental health and well-being of our teams has got to be a priority and, and trying to have an agenda uh, or approach that, yeah. that allows you to serve that as well is really, you know, it's, it's not easy stuff, but it's something you got to engineer into what you're doing, I think, if you're truly taking care of your, your organization. Yeah, I agree. As you said, I like the word overt. Yeah. It can't, you, you can't, it's not, you can't just assume that left to their own accord in this complex, unprecedented environment that everybody's going to end up taking good care of themselves. Um, Because it's also easy to have, as you say, 13 hours of television, no Zoom and Teams, and then recognize that uh, you've just created, you know, you've either forgotten to ask people how they're doing or you've created, you know, 40 person weeks of work. so switch it up. And it's not low pressure stuff, right? I mean, this is not low pressure work. No, you're, you know, we got lots of you. You know, consumers, customers, 
with with a lot of demands right now and, and trying to meet those demands is something that, you know, is a top priority for us. But as I've said many times to the group that, you know, it, it's it's that old adage of, you know, if I'm not if I'm not well rested, if my head's not clear, if I'm not able to focus on the task, you know, odds are I'm not going to bring my best self to the table anyway. So, you know, making sure that priority is part of what you're doing with your teams, I think, is something uh, and, and something that as CEOs and leaders, we should continue to keep talking about it. Because, again, I, I by no means uh, describe uh, myself as having all the answers here. So you know, I've, I've learned a lot from talking and, and, and discussing these issues with other leaders and other companies. And I think in most cases, I'm taking something new away uh, that helps me in, in the Campbell's uh, environment as we try to, uh, you know, continue to work positively in this area. Yeah, and you, as you say, the um, you play Campbell's plays such a kind of important role in America in a way, right? Responsibility, feeding, all the various segments, you know, the kind of movement to at home. So I'm sure it feels like more important today than ever. Kind of the role of the organization in, you know the country basically. So. Yeah. You know, I, I think we've tried to embrace that. And, you know, again, it's, it's, I don't think it's just a hollow, you know, rallying call. I think it is legitimately um, a needed set of products uh, and a portfolio that's played an incredibly relevant uh, role in, in what we've experienced, whether it was the initial kind of need for comfort and, you know, kind of a return to those things that make us feel safe and, uh, you know, kind of give us, um, you know, something to hang on to in difficult moments that we know and love to this, you know, explosion of new, you know, consumer behavior as it relates to in-home eating and whether that's cooking or, you know, what, what am I going to provide for my kids for lunch? Uh, or by the way, you know, mom and dad are not at the office eating, they're actually at home eating. You know what are we going to do, and how are we going to provide things that that uh, that that are both nourishing as well as you know providing great variety and, and great positive experience. And um, I think that that the role that Campbell's play and the uniqueness of our portfolio, whether it be the snacking side or the meal side, um, you know, we we really have been kind of in the thick of all of it. And I I think it's it's felt good to the organization to be able to play that role. And I think we continue to be very encouraged that that, that role can continue on uh, even beyond the, beyond the pandemic period. So taking back a step back, um, what, um, what were, how are you thinking about the plans for Campbell's pre pandemic? Like let's kind of roll ourselves back to the, you know, your first eight months, I think, or the middle of the first eight months or whatever, and just uh, your thoughts on, and then we could kind of connect it to, you know, how that's evolved in the last seven months. Well, I think the, the first chapter of the journey, uh, I would describe anchored very much on the idea of focus and fundamentals. Um, so this was about retooling the portfolio to really be focused in the places where we believe we had strong rights to win. Uh, we had compelling and leading brands. Um, and that ended up, you know, kind of creating this architecture uh, of two uh, divisions, North America focus. So kind of one geography, two divisions, uh, a well-positioned, differentiated snack business uh, that brought Pepperidge Farm, the power of Pepperidge Farm and Snyder's Lance together. Um, and then a meals and beverage business that may not have been the focus in the past, but was reemerging uh, as really uh, a part of the business that we felt um, very strongly uh, that, that we could turn around, improve, and initially stabilize, but certainly with the hope of contributing more uh, as time went on. And in particular within that, uh, we created the, this concept of winning in soup, which was really about kind of you know, reframing soup is taking it from a business where we were probably a little more focused on cost savings and, and, you know, profit generation to a more balanced approach where profitable growth 
you know, really became a much more um, ambitious goal for us. And I think if you take a kind of a snapshot right before the pandemic, um, you know, I, I would say we felt really good about the progress we, we had made. We had improved quality uh, on our condensed business. We had returned marketing and support uh, to our meals and beverage business. Remember that meals and beverage uh, business is a pretty focused portfolio, too. You've got, you know, our soup business, which is, you know, condensed, uh, uh, Pacific, chunky, um, well, yes, as part of that. And then you've got uh, the Prego pasta sauce business, Pace, uh, Mexican salsa, and a V8 business that was kind of the original plant-based beverage uh, that really makes up the majority of that portfolio. Yep. And so it wasn't, I think, one of the advantages we have as a company, we have 13 categories that are 80% of our, our revenue. We're not trying to do this in 50 or 60 different uh, uh, segments. So we really anchored down on getting the businesses right um, and what the support levels were needed. And, and we reframed kind of the story to retailers and rebuilt the relationship uh, on a vision of growth and, and profitable growth and strategic partnership. Um, and I, I felt very good about where we were. I, I would say, you know, certainly at, but probably a little ahead uh, of where we expected to be um, as we kind of walked into that, uh, uh, you know, March, March meeting or March uh, month and as the pandemic began. Yeah, you know, I, I guess in retrospect, at least getting the organization kind of strategically and emotionally ready for growth versus, you know, the, the cultures that happen when it's 90% margin. And then, you know, March 1st rolls around and we're all, you know, trying to figure out what you know, the level of, I'd said it numerous times, the, the level of uncertainty for folks like yourself was the highest that had been in a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And just complex consumer health, your own health, your employees' health, the anxiety of America. And uh, how did, I guess, how did that uh, foundation of, of growth play in to the first couple months of the pandemic? We, we had rewired the organization already. Um, you know, we had had the time to, to really go in and structure uh, the company, build the team. We had leaders in critical roles within the company uh, and within the divisions, especially as we kind of reset meals and beverage um, with a new ambition leadership team across the board that really um, was well suited for going after growth, again, as part of the strategy. And I think the second thing was if you think about the supply chain and the relationships with retailers, you know, we'd had almost a year to really rebuild all of that. And so our confidence uh, as we stepped into the crisis um, was substantially higher than what it would have been a year earlier. And so, um, you know, I am very grateful uh, that we had this opportunity in this moment uh, beforehand to really kind of set the table. And I think it has made uh, a material uh, impact on our ability to kind of, you know, maximize this moment, you know, making the most of a tough situation. Um, but, but certainly I think it put us significantly ahead of where we would have been if we were trying to retool at the same time. And what was, um, I'm just curious, um, just given the rapid shift in demand effectively and just the, how did, um, how did you and the organization manage through that? I'm, uh, you have some seasonality, so it sounds like you have some experience in, you know, fluctuating production to, to, uh, manage through high demand periods, but from what I understand and what we saw, this was unprecedented. So oh, yeah. no, no doubt. I mean, these were businesses, you know, that quite frankly, on their best day had been growing, you know, one, two or three percent. We had weeks where soup was up 100 um, percent in a period of the year that is definitely not our lowest uh, consumption period. I mean, it wasn't in the necessarily the heart of soup season, but these, you know, that late uh, winter, early spring, um, you know, we're selling a lot of soup. So, 
I, I think what we did was we went through a couple different phases and, you know, we said, you know, first and foremost, um, we want to make sure that we're maximizing product that we're able to deliver um, to our retailers um, as well as to our communities, right? It was a very thoughtful allocation, if you will, uh, of our maximum capacity we had. And I think a big part of this story um, is, you know, and I, I don't think I'm over uh, using uh, this word or description, but the heroics uh, of our frontline workers and what they were doing in the plant and, you know, all of the uncertainty that we were experiencing. Now imagine that you're getting up every morning, you know, at 4.30 in the morning to head to a plant uh, to run food that is in immediate demand where the cases are leaving the, uh, the factory, you know, as fast as you can make them. Um, and that, and they're going to stores, but they're also going to food banks and in the communities uh, across the, the continent. And I think, you know, that, that required us to do some things that were, you know, kind of immediate uh, command and control moments. So we did, um, you know, kind of rationalize some SKUs. We really looked at the math of what would it take to ensure that our plants are not necessarily delivering optimal assortment, but delivering optimal quantities um, and really drove hard on that. Our procurement team, another, yeah. you know, kind of unsung hero was out there finding us, you know, three, four, five times uh, the ingredient, the number of cans, all of the, uh, all of this had to come together. And that was really kind of the hallmark, I would say, of the first 90 days of what we were yeah. experiencing. And then I think we pivoted in the, in the second phase. Then it became, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, three critical missions, um, you know, in the company, which is what, first and foremost, of course, taking care of one another. Uh, that always is the top safety, wellness of, of all of our uh, colleagues across the company. The second is maximizing uh, the, the, the amount of product and getting as quickly and as safely food from the factory to the stores. Um, and that was kind of the first 90 days. But yep. then in the next stage, we added kind of the third plank of this, which is really then begin to anticipate the future. And, and that's where we've really kind of lived, I'd say, for the last five months which is, which is truly building muscle in better um, upfront planning, um, staging, and deployment uh, of our inventory. And so I think, you know, in fairness, um, I would say some of those muscles were not muscles that we had built in the past. I mean, if yeah. you were a pretty predictable, yeah, like if you're, you know, if you can kind of forecast the business with a, with a calendar is what I say, you know, where it's like, you know, I'm going to be plus or minus one at the end of the day. If I'm really good. I'll get close. If I'm really bad, I might be a point off, right? This is a very different moment and it requires really different capabilities. And so, you know, we've sought out support where we, where we felt we needed it. Um, we, we've upweighted our teams and resources against planning. Um, and I think right now, as we head back into the winter and the soup season, it's really paying dividends because although, uh, you know, I can't tell you that we're 100 percent, you know, out of the woods as it relates to capacity uh, challenges, but we're much further ahead than we were uh, several months ago. And as we go into the important uh, winter months with so much uncertainty around them, I feel good that, that we're going to be able to meet uh, demand and 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 do the best we can. Uh, again, notwithstanding another giant spike, but but certainly on the trajectory we're on uh, to meet most of that demand, as well as being in a good position uh, to commit to our retail partners and plan with them collaboratively. You know how the how how we want to stage the business going into the winter. The unsung, like heroes of procurement just the breadth of items that you had to find and keep other plants open i've heard that had that conversation just a few times the yeah. literally hundreds of things that has to go right to get you know a factory to maintain you know peak peak production basically yeah and and these are like i said these are not small bumps it's not like we had to prepare for a hurricane, although we did have that a couple times in the last uh, in the last month as well. But it's not just like a one-time event. And you know what what uh, 
what our team and, and our folks have done is create a, a sustainable model of acquiring the ingredients and materials that we need that, that is really, I mean, it, it's nothing short of extraordinary. And, yeah. you know, like I said, these aren't, you know, this wasn't like one week, one month or a point or two. You know, our soup business has been up somewhere between 20 and 50 percent, you know, six or seven months in a row. Um, you know, think of the number of ingredients that are going into. All I was just going to say, I think you can, you know, we, you know, what comes to mind are cans and labels, but I'm sure there's hundreds of ingredients. Yeah, that, seasonings, peppers. You know, they're not the only one, and they're not all sourced in the U.S. either. So I'm no, sure. No, and and some and some of those markets were a little tougher yeah. uh, to navigate. But I think where we were single sourcing items, uh, we were able to identify backups to that. Um, and yes, in some cases, it may have come at a little bit higher price. But um, you know, our ability to kind of meet those needs, I, I think the team just did an amazing job. Yeah, it's the uh, it's not as top of mind as like the next topic, which is I love the. In- anticipate the future. Uh, we often use the word, we're supposed to be one step ahead of folks like you. Talk a little bit about the consumer experience and your views on um, the shifting, you know, culture of American consumption of food, basically, and then how that, you, you what do you see that as, you know, as the future plays out for the organization? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of, uh, there's been quite a bit of talk about, um, in my mind, a, a fairly you know clear set of of some very um, material macro trends uh, that we've seen in food. And you know, I talk a lot about the pandemic or crisis in phases. You know, the that early phase of you know kind of pantry loading, a little bit of panic buying. Um, you know, really uh, high degree of uh, correlation to comfort um, and kind of the emotion uh, of being in that unknown. And that is now over time, um, you know, pivoted in kind of the second phase of this, which was, okay, now, now I'm, I'm dealing with the necessity of the environment that I'm in. That means that I'm eating much more of my meals at home. And whether that is cooking or preparing my meals myself, or whether that is buying food that is prepared for me um, that that I'm cooking. And by the way, it's not just dinner and breakfast anymore. It's actually now all three meals of the day, including all of my in-between meal snacking um, is happening more in the house. Um, and, And that was really, again, I'd say kind of phase two was really necessity. And now I find that, that we're really moving into kind of the next uh, chapter or the next phase of this, which is I'm now a pretty good cook, right? I've been doing this for six or seven months. Um, I'm more comfortable, uh, confident in my ability to prepare things um, that might not have been in my uh, capability set when the journey started, but now I can. And I can start to mimic uh, meals and dishes uh, that are more aspirational and that match more the food that I really love. Or quite frankly, I'm just kind of bored of my normal repertoire. I'm starting to uh, broaden my skill sets and, and capabilities, and I'm trying new things. And, and I love cooking, right? And now cooking is part of my life, and it's a big pastime in a world where I don't have a lot of uh, added things to do in my free time, especially as cold weather uh, is, is coming back. I've, I've now got kids or family members that are eating lunches now into – you know, month uh, eight, um, I've I've learned that shopping online, which is, of course, another big trend uh, that emerged that, you know, I got it. I know how to do this now and I'm pretty comfortable with it and the convenience of it and the, uh, the just the ability to kind of, you know, I sat down on a Sunday night last night and thought about what I wanted to have for the week. This is me last night. So if I'm getting there, I know a lot of people are. And, you know, knocked out a shopping list, sent it off to Instacart and got it going. Um, while while being able to still do that at Amazon, Walmart.com, Kroger, you know, all of the, the e-commerce shopping has now become just part of the way in which that we live. Um, and, and so therefore, I think now for me, 
um, a lot of the insights that we're working on aren't so much identifying the macro trends, right? I think, you know, those are those to those to a great degree are undeniable. Um, now it's about how are we going to uniquely position the company and the portfolio um, in a way that 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 makes us uh, more competitive and more capable of winning these new occasions or these broader occasions that are happen to be also including um, a, a consumer base that we've worked hard to try to connect to, which are the younger Gen Xers or uh, older millennials, which we really see as kind of the sweet spot of growth for the future. And so a lot of our time now is not so much on, well, is cooking, you know, a big trend. It's, it is a trend. And, you know, I know there's still a lot of debate around how long and, uh, and again, every indicator that I see, every mile marker that I'm watching um, suggests to me that this is a behavior that will go well into the future. You add a little bit of economic uncertainty on top of it and the benefits of, of what consumers are seeing or feeling uh, to me gives it a very, very compelling um, demand for the future. So now it's about how do we win, right? I was all right, now what? How do you um, now? If that is the case, and the and and this like call it unique, I think window that plays to the the strength of of Campbell's portfolio. Now what? How do you how do you actually proactively shape your role in this? I think versus reactively, you know, which was really Q two, right? Reactively support the need. Now it's proactively shift and become relevant in this i I think there's i think there's probably four big areas that 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 we're focused on and that i think you know companies that that are that have now you know kind of registered the reality of the macro trends right are moving into the next wave of so to me the first is okay these consumers now uh, our products are in their households. They have an experience with us. They're building a relationship. How do we really understand their needs? Not their not their just immediate pandemic needs, but how do we really understand the needs of these consumers going forward? What is the type of uh, meal ideas? What what is their uh, need for health and wellness? What's the role of plant based diets and how that fits? into what they're doing. So this is now about taking the experience of cooking or in-home prepared meals and refocusing our efforts on the benefits that are occurring within those windows that we as a company can uniquely provide. You know, one of the things that I love about our hand, if you will, um, in this moment is that we're, you know, we're probably as versatile as any company out there because so much of what we make um, is foundational to recipes or meal ideas, but yet still have a wide range uh, of dishes, right? If I go buy a frozen meal, that's my meal, right? That's, that's it, right? I buy a can of cream of mushroom soup, you know, I've got a couple hundred recipe ideas that can come from that. And so the ability for us to really have vision to how to think about that benefit of versatility paired with then good, simple usage ideas for consumers that are mindful of what's important or relevant to them, to me is area is big area number one. And, and by the way, that's the same for our ready to eat meals. You know, one of the things we've really discovered is the power in canned soup, ready to eat soup. One of the things that, that we've built over years and years and years um, is the substantialness of chunky soup. Right. The, it's the soup that eats like a meal. Right. That's that's, you know, American uh, vernacular. And I think what we've what we've realized is that if you can underpin that with 16 grams of protein, make it tangible or relevant to a younger household uh, or a younger consumer, we're seeing that impacting consumers in a very, very powerful way. And so part of this is how do we take those things and brands like Pacific? which are already in the wheelhouse as an organic platform uh, for younger consumers. These are all the tools that we're going to bring to bear there. So that's kind of big area number one. Area number two is the marketing. Um, and, And what are the media vehicles we're using? You know, we talked a lot in our fiscal Q4 
um, that that we just completed, there was a lot of debate about Mark. Why why would you be spending money on marketing um, in a moment of already elevated demand, or even in a moment where you you had some supply constraints? And the the short answer to that is, I saw it as a very very important opportunity for us to one strengthen these relationships with these new households and consumers, but two to also learn and begin to build the playbook for what works and what doesn't work on on preparing us now as we go into our fiscal 21 uh, on how to invest money the right way. And we got an unbelievable level yeah. of learnings from that. And so that yeah. now applies to 21. So that's that's really area two. And then the last two that I just would say is, uh, and not to not to shortchange these, um, but I think the the third is, really kind of retooling then our innovation funnel and making sure that it matches all of the things that we've been learning in those first couple uh, buckets that I described. So, you know, we've had great funnels developed, what goes faster, what maybe is a little less relevant, and where are there gaps to add new things? And the final one, I know a bit of a long answer, but it's an important, you know, question really, um, is our relationships with customers. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I would describe a period uh, before this that has required a greater level of collaboration and trust than what we're seeing right now. And my hope and wish is that we continue that environment uh, of partnership as we think about growing these businesses for the future. And so really for us, doubling down on those relationships and making sure that that we're part continuing to partner, even in a world where maybe inventories are back and we're feeling better about supply, but okay, what does the shelf aisle uh, of soup for the future look like? Let's work together and build that um, as kind of the next chapter. So I think all four of those yeah. are required. Awesome. So no silver bullet, no silver bullet. No, but I think it's it's a logical progression and interesting, like a little bit different. How, given what you describe, call it as, you know, and, and the way I think about it is there's just there's a lot more fragmentation in people's behavior in America. The, the consumers themselves, I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, gamers and these environments and the at home and, and the, the, the such a, you know, as you say, things you know, right, like the, the recession is hitting the world in a lot of unusual ways. And that's creating um, more occasions to use the terminology of our you described a lot more and a pivot to a different you know different environment for Campbell's right as people are cooking from home and using as reading. How do you um so an interesting how do you create an organization that can move fast enough to because you know as you say right and it's not just it's Campbell's, but the industry was built for one to 2% growth with plus or minus one to 2%. And so that wasn't an environment or cultures that had to move quickly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like uh, it's not whatever. I often tell our own folks, um, you know, you think our business is hard. Apple replaces 90% of its demand once a year with a new phone, right? It's kind of, yeah, one product takes over half of demand once a year or twice a year. And that's a, but anyway, it'd be interesting to get your view on um, yeah, with all well, those no, I, four I, things I, which have to come together in pace. It's, you're not talking, oh, let's figure this out over the next couple of years. You're talking about figuring it out over the next couple months. Yeah. Knowing you. I, I, I think you have to. Um, I think there's a couple, not surprisingly, um, you know, I think this is what's going to ultimately differentiate companies uh, in many ways going forward. You know, those, those that are successful. I think are going to figure out how to navigate um, in this new world. And, you know, what we're trying to do, and, and I don't know, by the way, I'm not sure if someone told you today they have the definitive proven playbook on how to do this that, that I would necessarily believe that. But I, because I, you know, we're learning all the time. But what I would say is I do think um, a couple things. One, and, and this won't come as a surprise to you, we've talked, you and I have talked a lot about this. Um, you know, actually, even before the pandemic, but but certainly as we've gone into the pandemic, which is, you know, how how do we take the the multitude of streams of data uh, that we have coming into the company and try to create a way in which that that data um, becomes more usable quicker 
And, you know, the fact is that that is, is much and I and again, I, you know, not not just on your podcast, but I do think you've done a, a great job in, in having the vision to see that that those that can put these pieces together, it's going to be a significant uh, competitive advantage and, and really something that's in high demand. And I think in the meantime, what we've been working on is to try to figure out how to kind of, you know, weave that data together into an interface. You know, we call it our consumer insight engine, um, but it takes our traditional, um, you know, scanner data from you. It takes our panel data. It takes our social media mining. It takes some of our, um, what I'd call more, you know, online universe oriented data streams. And it begins as well as our kind of annual or episodic uh, moments, whether it's a food trends report or things that are coming in sporadically uh, through the course of the year. And we're creating a, a platform in which our marketers and our R&D folks are able to interface with that in a far more simple and quick way so that we can hopefully begin to extract trends, whether it's on recipe or what, what I believe strongly is we're seeing is a lot of the macro trends that existed you know, a year ago and were growing are now being overlaid on top of the behaviors that have been shaped with the pandemic. So think of, you know, health and wellness, plant-based, um, you know, more nutritional uh, density or higher return on my snacking occasions. All of this that was there before is now being integrated. Uh, it's coming back, right? As a, yep. as a as a trend, but it's coming it's getting through. accelerated, right? And now it all just five years just occurred in six months, right? And, and a and, number of them, right? Because of the, you know, whether it's the time people have, even you know, your point about plant based and talk about health and wellness, you know, it's nothing like. Um, it's fairly true that the pandemic has created a sense of self awareness of of your health. You know, because you're just thinking about it all the time, whether it's washing your hands or and so all yeah. those trends. Well, and I think over time, what we're going to find is that that health and wellness, um, as 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 a uh, not just necessarily a, a feeling better, but now yes, as also uh, a bit of uh, helping you fight off uh, being sick is is going to continue to be. There. I mean, one of the things we launched this year. Which, you know, again, if I would have announced it a year ago, people would have might have been scratching their head. But we just launched Pacific condensed uh, soups that are in plant-based uh, formats that, that allow you to cook um, with that kind of Pacific credential and organic uh, credential. And again, you know, I don't know that a year ago, new news and condensed soup was would have been seen as particularly breakthrough. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to it's going to be a really big and successful new item for us um, because it, it attaches itself to that insight that we were just talking about of the cooking uh, behavior being real, but the health and wellness demand not going away. Here's an item that allows you to really take advantage well, of both. Interesting. You know, the testing of marketing to figure out what was going to work um, and then back to just speed, right? Like a lot of organizations, yeah. that takes a year too, right? I just, you know, to it, kind it, of get really, your organization. I, I'm, really, I'm really proud of the team for what yeah. we did. You know, again, um, look, did everything work? No, but that oh, was part of the, the whole point. That was part of the benefit of what we were doing. And I think the key learning um, for organizations that are trying to do the same thing is you got to make sure you set up your learning models up front, right? So before we went into some of that investing, we really worked quite closely with our media partners um, and and understood where and what we were doing and, and how it worked. And, you know, it was, and, it, and by the way, I just went through the review of the learnings, kind of overview of the learnings uh, at the end of last week. And, you know, some of it is is just, okay, you know, how you portray your product, right? How, what creative was working better than others? You know, we had a multitude of different executions um, in different forums and trying to crosswalk that to figure out, okay, this creative and these kinds of platforms work well. 
it's a huge help when I get to the soup season that we're walking into now, right? It's informing all of the creative decisions as well as placement um, as we go into arguably what will be a more competitive moment or more competitive period. Yeah, look, I, I'm, you've heard me say it before. I just, I believe we've gone from, you know, ever, I don't know the number, five occasions for soup to 20. And so if what you're saying is you, you consciously tried to figure out effectively what message to what group for what need state, you know, and a test and learn over the summers to get, you know, that's actually, um, yep. And that, and that, was, how about that? that? I'm not going to over, but that's thoughtful because it is, you know, as you describe these three phases, you know, the, you know, let's, this could go on a year or two years and some of these will stay as long-term trends because of people's, they liked them, right? Not just because they do. And so it's fascinating to think that you consciously went into that to like, you know, test different messages to different people on different forums against probably a broader array array of, um, you know, what the world could look like for the next couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, could we perhaps have saved a couple dollars more in the fourth quarter had we not done that? I think the return on that investment is going to be one that we're re- and I already feel that way, that, that we're really grateful um, going into the season. Again, it wasn't like we were spending necessarily behind businesses we knew we couldn't supply, but on businesses like Condensed, where our supply was good, uh, as well as some of our new products or, or platforms that were low household penetration like Pacific, like late July on our snacks business. You know, our snacks business has been another, you know, group of brands that have really benefited from this environment of learning and the more in-home consumption in the sense that, you know, our I describe our snacks portfolio to a lot of people uh, as this concept of, you know, what makes us kind of different as a company is that we're in a lot of mainstream snacking segments, but we elevate the experience for consumers, right? Whether it's potato chips that we're bringing kettle chips, whether it's you know pretzels where we've got a lot of different forms, but also pretzel crisps, whether it's tortilla chips and we're bringing organic uh, through late July or cookies uh, with Farmhouse and, and Milano, which are certainly upscale, uh, more premium offerings. And I think that is what makes us really unique. And if you think about the fact that you're replacing a lot of your out of the home, um, you know, social experiences with in home uh, social experiences, your desire to upweight uh, or elevate those experiences, it fits very well with what our portfolio does. And so, although we've got to navigate some tricky things like, you know, goldfish, where you have a huge away from home uh, component yep. usage to now being more bulk um, in home usage, that has taken us some time to kind of rewire uh, and think differently about it. But I I think many of our snacks businesses, you know, really fit well in this new world. And, you know, I'm really uh, encouraged by what I'm seeing with those businesses and, and what I think that will also mean over time. And I guess that's why to a certain degree, not to deviate too far off the path, but you look at our portfolio and you say, okay, advantage snacks portfolio is 50% of the revenue. The other 50% was in the meals and beverage business where there may have been that question mark that on can you stabilize it. Now it's less about can you stabilize it, but can it be a steady contributor, um, which more and more evidence I think builds to suggest it can. You put those two things together, and I, and I do think it brings, without all of the noise of the international uh, businesses and trying to navigate uh, a lot of uncertainty in those markets as well, I do think it puts us in a in a somewhat enviable position uh, as far as what we, you know, controlling the controllables for us is a pretty tight set of numbers uh, and, and categories that I think, you know, we can pool and, and, and focus in a big way on. Yeah, no, and I think it's, um, as we're discussing, <clears throat> it's a, it's an opportunity window, not a, you know, make it slightly better window that as you sat there a year ago, you're like, okay, I'm going to consolidate, make good decisions to, 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 you know, grow, add two percentage points of growth at a high profit. Now you've got a, you know, a good portfolio for the changing consumers and the changing behaviors. And the question is, how do you, um, you know, well, I'm going to start with how do you, 
you know, in the e-commerce as the lever, what are your thoughts on kind of how you're positioning the organization for e-commerce and then maybe what seems such a natural, then how do you prioritize, you know, what seems like more opportunities or more shifts in, you know, brands to consumers than you've probably ever seen in your various, you know, roles. Yeah, iterations of this. Yeah. I think on e-commerce, you know, it, it's, it's been, um, it's been kind of a fascinating journey. I think everybody understood that e-commerce over time would, would continue to be a bigger part um, of consumer shopping behavior. But I think there were also, you know, some distinct challenges uh, that, that for many manufacturers, you know, assortment, route to market, there, there was just a lot of questions that were out there. And I think what has happened in the in this pandemic period is you've just had a, uh, a dramatic acceleration um, of, of demand in the area. And I think what it's requiring now, um, maybe not to where it was, you know, I can remember in the early days of e-commerce, the first thing a lot of companies did was go out and, you know, build a 50-person business. Right? It's like an army of people that were all walking around trying to figure out how to get nine items to, uh, you know, an online grocer. And it was, you know, it, it just was not uh, the right tool for the right job. I think where we are now, though, is we, we have a much clearer understanding because we've navigated where the pressure points and the opportunities are. So we have mined very closely kind of what is it that that are the keys uh, to unlocking success, whether that is working uh, with our traditional retail partners on their shelf for click and collect, which has been a big benefactor of this move to online shopping, um, where the shelf, the retail shelf, essentially becomes the warehouse um, for online shopping, which in many ways is quite beneficial to a company like ours, but does require some retooling with the customer to really understand, well, you know what, maybe assortment does need to be a little narrower, but with bigger footprints around core items so that when those turn up on online shopping lists, you've got more readily available, not just for your consumer that's shopping, but also for the pick, if you will, uh, for your online shopping. So I think assortment in general is probably still the biggest thing that that is taking work and effort. And that's true, by the way, even uh, as we get to the more traditional online grocers, uh, you know, Amazon and so forth, where we are we are really, I think, now figuring out um, through a lot of great partnership and discussion that, OK, let's let's get the right 15 or 20 items. Um, let's make sure we can keep those in stock. Let's worry a little bit less about trying to mimic the entire assortment and being out of stock on everything um, and figure out how to really make it work. So that that that's where we've put resources to really try to understand that assortment. That's big area number one. Area number two is really then the marketing. And, you know, some of the highest ROI spending we did in the fourth quarter uh, that I talked about was retail um, media. So partnering with our retailers um, and doing media together. And by the way, that was everyone from our traditional retailers, even to third party shoppers like Instacart, where they are very data rich, a lot of opportunity uh, to learn together. And, and we've seen a lot of great success in those uh, areas. And we've got a lot of really exciting stuff coming uh, as we go into the holidays where we learned kind of in the summer. And now we're putting it into place like in the moment that matters most, right? Think about you know, the potential for 50 million less travelers uh, over the holiday this year, how many more first time Thanksgiving cooks they're going to be out there uh, that are trying to make sure that they make a great experience, probably at a time where it's never been more important uh, to have a great Thanksgiving family meal. How do we work together to make sure that that happens? And, you know, that kind of marketing and media is something that's really um, exciting and that we've learned a lot about what's worked and what's not worked so that we can really be effective going forward. And the good news is, as you know, uh, I think we were all a little surprised, honestly, uh, when we got um, when we began to get data now that really helps us see. 
right? I, I will say that that's kind of the third big change for me is do you have the data to inform your decision making? And we did get much better at that as we finished out last fiscal year and into this year. And, you know, the good news is what we learned um, is that that we're, we're doing well, always can do better. Uh, but we did double our business in e-commerce in 2020, fiscal 2020, yep. um, and held share or grew share in a lot of places um, where you might think, well, I thought all those small niche brands were yeah. all. The reality was, no, it was a lot of the big brands like ours. It's not been the general trend, so that's uh, congratulations. Yeah, so, no, and I know, and I know that. You know that, right? And by the way, not to say we're perfect, right? There are no, some no, clear, look. clear places where we're where we have share opportunity to level set with retail, but a couple of our big kind of heavy hitters in the portfolio did quite well. Yeah, well, it comes back to you said if there's a broader set of occasions that you feel like you have um, insights on. That allows you to get the message right with all these new, re- you know, there's a lot more places to do media than there used to be, right? There are. As you say, retail media, um, addressable. And so you can have, you know, five or six different themes to different audiences that you couldn't have done five years ago, right? The world and is by the way, that's smart, right? It, five years ago, you would have said that's fragmented marketing that, you know, you're not focused enough, you don't understand. Yeah. And, and by the way, this does not alleviate you from understanding truly your core brand proposition, right? You're, you know, I, I think um, the risk is, is that you try to become everything to everyone. You have to start with kind of the true north of the brand and, and what is the core equity. But the manifestation of that equity to build relevance with different consumers may come through in different messages. Like, you know, the big, one of the big ahas for us this year was if you're a longtime Campbell Soup, core user, you see tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwich uh, on a table, you know, check, like that's a, that's a powerful motivation. You play a little bit of the golden girls behind it on, you know, thank you for being a friend. And that worked incredibly well. A millennial, you help them understand there's six tomatoes in every can of tomato soup. All of a sudden, I think cans are not good food. Wait a minute, six tomatoes. That gives me permission. I try it and I love it. Um, in my mind, same core equity of the yeah. goodness of what's in, in Campbell Tomato Soup, but executed in two different ways that target yeah. two different people. And, and that's okay. And I think we're embracing fully that that is the future of marketing. Um, and the beauty of the new media vehicles is it really enables us to execute that in a pretty efficient way. Yeah, no, and if you do all that in a way, and I'm sure John is on because we're running out of time, um, back to like, if you have a unique view of occasions and evolving kind of consumer needs, and you have the ability to kind of create, call it local, you know, local consumer messages around a theme, now you have something to bring to our retail partners, your retail partners that actually fits with what they've been trying to do, um, which is ultimately, you know, they have a broader kind of, you know, build platforms with consumers, build relationships that mirror that kind of, you know, kind of shopping trip based model. So Absolutely. Maybe the last imagine, imagine the ability to, you know, integrate what we're doing with retailers on click and collect with weather patterns as we go into the winter. So it's a week, but I'm not talking about blizzards, all out blizzards, but let's just imagine right? A cold spell's coming through next week. We're, we're advertising chicken noodle soup, you know, kind of the, the warmness and more of the equity of that, um, you know, product as a lead in to knowing that at the same time you're seeing cold weather's coming. Wow. Do I have chicken noodle soup? Love that for lunch at home. Right. Or my kids are going to be home. You know, yeah, let me pick up a few cans or better yet, I'm just one click away and I can see the ad and actually click through to the product right onto my shopping list. I mean, this is for those that can get the, the tools right on that. It can be quite, quite powerful and, and, and very collaborative with our customers. Yeah, I was going to say, and if it's, um, you know, because you're kind of a core item in a basket to use our fancy industry terminology, if that then leads to 
you know, you're bringing consumers to whether it's the online platform or the retailer that matter to them. And you're actually ahead of their own ability to move quickly because they've, you know, have the same, they're on the other side of this explosion of visit, you know, more consumers, right? Buying in groceries, um, bigger baskets, fewer trips. So if you're a quote, again, in our fancy industry trip, trip driver, <laughs> yeah. but all of you've got the, if you're really dialing with the consumers and bring in for the right reasons, that is something that will create powerful collaboration because you're connecting with the consumers for the right reasons that matter to them too. Yeah. And then, and then if I can, if I can maintain some of the muscles we've been building on supply chain and deployment, I take that same situation and now almost seamlessly I'm putting, you know, 10 times the cases in that geography of chicken noodle soup in anticipation of cold weather. It just, it, it happens from insight to execution to supply. I mean, that is the future of, of what food's going to look like and, and doing it in this way in which, you know, the world of data, the retailer and the manufacturer becomes almost seamless uh, to our consumers is, is really where I think we're headed. And I think, as you said, this, the, what the pandemic has essentially done is taken the trend that was already moving and just put a foot in its back and shoved it forward, you know, several years. And so I think the companies that are nimble enough and adaptive enough to embrace that and get there the fastest, um, I think those are the ones that are going to differentiate themselves in performance over time. Yeah, I agree. And as some, as an organization that sees a lot of different organizations, so to speak, um, you know, it is a source of competitive advantage. It is not easy in an industry that's grown up for 20 years at, you know, zero to 2% growth to then create an organization that moves quickly to maybe a wider set of sub opportunities. So yeah, it's, I do correct. think it's a real source of advantage if you could, can become more adaptive. Well, we're, we're only, I mean, Andrew, we're only 151 years yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. So there is no chance we're set in our ways at all. So we're- Not you know, at all. No, I have a- It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely a, a challenge. But I will say, <laughs> I, I think that we're, we're demonstrating a lot of flexibility. Um, I think we're embracing the new world. And, you know, sometimes coming from where we were, where performance wasn't good, it's giving us permission to do things differently. And so the case for change at Campbell uh, has been a pretty compelling and, and not a particularly hard one to make. And so I think that is hopefully why you see us uh, and as, as one of our, you know, primary strategic partners, you know, hope, hope that you see us showing up differently. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's so far, uh, you know, I think benefited us in a lot of ways and, you know, making progress was still a lot to do as we go forward and a lot of opportunities to continue to grow together. So uh, by no means is, uh, is the mission complete, but I, I do feel good about these, uh, these, these last, you know, year and a half, two years uh, of the progress that we're making. Okay. We, um, we feel uh, proud to be a little bit of it. How about that? Proud to be part of it. So it's sure. uh, and as you agree, iconic organization as my uh, wife at mid-March brought home a can of Campbell's soup and and we spent time talking about how it had been a while since she had quote connected with Campbell's soup. So both a positive in the sense that you're part of all of our childhoods and the histories, but also an opportunity because of as you're saying, you're trying to expand the use cases and the need states and find all those uh in home moments that didn't exist maybe a year ago. Yeah, uh, we we call it we call it fabric of the nation brands, and so we're we're glad to we're glad to have your wife back in the back in the home team. You got it, John. Thank you. Was, By the way, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate. I just enjoy catching up with you. Yeah, Even yeah, me too. Yeah, great podcast or not. Thanks so much, Mark and Andrew. Uh, really an insightful conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. Mark, you talked about the lessons and leadership that you've learned throughout the COVID pandemic. You talked about the need for rapid decision-making, working side-by-side with your team, staying connected to that team, 
um, and really being overtly mindful uh, about the well-being of your organization and your people. I thought those were some really powerful insights. You talked about Campbell's focus on fundamentals and how that's really enabled success during COVID to meet consumers' needs and support your retail partners at the same time and how that strategy is playing out for success in the future. Um, you talked about the unsung heroes across the enterprise, of course, the frontline workers at retail, but also your leaders in production and procurement, supply chain and operations, and the critical roles that they've been playing. I thought your perspective around the phases of consumer change throughout the pandemic was really interesting. First, with the pantry stocking, people gravitating towards comfort um, as they were settling in at home. Then you talked about really the necessity of, of being home-centric and really how that really fueled home cooking and uh, increased snacking occasions. And then you talked about, you know, people becoming really kind of good at home cooking and shopping and really kind of mastering it. How they're kind of like, I got this and um, how that's really kind of spurred an evolution. As you look ahead, you talked about four core areas of focus. You talked about really the need to understand consumers needs moving forward and really maximizing the versatility of your portfolio. You talked about the, you know, the increased and continued support of marketing and really how that is helping you strengthen relationships, not only with consumers, but also retailers and how you're taking those learnings from your marketing uh, and really applying those to your business strategies moving forward. You talked about the need to continually reinvent your innovation funnel and taking those learnings that you've gotten from your um, marketing and media efforts and, and putting those into your innovation efforts. And then of course, you talked about fortifying and strengthening consumer relationships and customer relationships, and really the need to um, continue to leverage data and insights and a deeper pulse on what's happening with the consumer to really drive increased collaboration and trust with your retail partners. Um, I thought that your, your call out of that really being a, a significant competitive advantage was really compelling. Um, you talked about speed to action and really leaning in on your learnings and applying those learnings to everything that you're doing. You talked obviously about the rise and importance of e-commerce and understanding assortment and demand and pricing. And then, of course, again, the role that marketing and media are playing and really truly understanding consumers and leveraging that information to fortify your collaboration efforts with your retailers. Mark, it's clear that you've got a great handle um, on, on what's been going on and that you're leading your organization with confidence. Um, your comments about Campbell's remaining the fabric of the nation has never been more true. And I have no doubt that uh, Jim Kramer and the folks at Mad Money are going to be looking to you for continued success. So congratulations. Thanks again, uh, Mark and Andrew, for this really insightful conversation. And for our listeners at home um, and our viewers online today, this is a recorded conversation that will be, of course, available on our website at www.ironyworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our other COVID-19 thought leadership, including invaluable reports and, of course, our dashboard of economic indicators. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.